welcome back in another podcast. Um, happy to have you on. Maybe a couple of words before we start uh, and before I introduce Taylor in a sec. Um, one short note for all the English-focused listeners that we have in the group. Uh, I started an English-only Feed Your Brain podcast a couple of days ago. So um, if you are interested in the English-only content around Feed Your Brain, you can definitely visit the other podcast, which is also called Feed Your Brain, but it also has a little note, which is called English-only. So you can, all, you can find all English-related episodes there, which definitely makes it easier also to go through like older episodes that I've recorded with uh, fantastic guests that would definitely be of interest I'm sure um, so just as a note I will also put that in the show notes if you are interested in actually following the podcast there um, okay maybe short words to Taylor Ryan Taylor Ryan is the CMO of Valure.ai it's a startup based in Copenhagen that focuses on bringing together startups and corporates uh, through a smart platform, um, which definitely solves a big problem because a lot of corporates don't know how they can work with startups. A lot of startups have a problem of actually reaching corporates, so it's a great way of putting them together. He's a, an absolute long-term friend of the entrepreneurship and marketing world. Uh, he worked for the Washington Post, co-founded uh, six different startups. Uh, lots of failures, lots of successes, but he definitely uh, found his way in the marketing world, which is the reason why he also leads value at .ai for the marketing space, at least. And and um, actually quite interesting how like his views now relate to startup building and uh, actually entrepreneurship in general, but how he also looks very narrow and very in-depth into what's happening in the marketing world. He's a big believer in um, in paid ads because he believes that organic is going to be quite difficult in the future. And I'm sure for everybody that is interested in growing the company that you have, I think it will definitely be a big help to see how he views marketing in general and how he, he thinks about it in the future because he's touching it a lot in his daily work. Um, besides that, I would be interested in hearing your comments. Definitely let us know on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, how you think about the podcast. Would love it if you if you can share it. Otherwise, I wish you a, a great episode. Hopefully you enjoy it and uh, don't forget to follow. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Welcome back in another episode of the Feed Your Brain podcast. I'm very happy to have you on the show again. Now we have another guest. It's Taylor Ryan, for the Chief Marketing Officer of Valure.ai, based in Copenhagen, Denmark. So another European guest, but we're going to enjoy talking in English to see how Valure.ai actually enables to mix corporates with startups in a very good and technological futuristic way. And uh, I'm very happy to have you here. Welcome to the podcast, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Max. Excited to be here. And yeah, again, thanks for having me. This is cool. <laughs> It is definitely. Um, I mean, I was actually maybe to give the listeners some backstory. Um, I was um, mentioned one of the top 100 corporate innovation podcasts by your platform, which is definitely an honor uh, besides other podcasts like the JP Morgan one or Andreas 
Susan Horowitz, which I which I just love listening as well. So I'm I'm very honored to actually made the corporation and made it possible that we could actually chat and see how how our audience could actually benefit from what you are doing at your company and what what your positioning is. And um, I think maybe to give the people some 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 background why I actually invited you to the podcast. I think. It's a very interesting topic of having startups who are definitely in the audience and having corporates and maybe also we call it in Germany the German Mittelstand, which is like the the middle-sized companies, um, and see how actually they can work together because that's still a big challenge, um, I think in Europe especially. Um, so I think that's a very good, very interesting topic that we can chat about. Very cool. Yeah, let's dig in. That sounds great. Cool. Maybe um, give some feedback for the listeners. What are you doing? What's your role? And what's something that inspires you on a daily basis? Sure. So uh, I found out about Valuer realistically only a few weeks before joining up. Uh, the concept was kind of interesting just from the standpoint. It's creating a, a new service offering for a lot of large companies. The concept is You have a lot of these old school companies that are trying to maintain something in the way of, of relevancy or at least continue to hold on to, to kind of their, uh, their main areas of revenue. But over time, they're realizing that due to either their lack of speed or the market kind of shifting practically overnight these days, you mm. have a lot of these large organizations that are losing market share to small startups and they don't understand why. So rather than looking at the, uh, the startup scene as kind of the antithesis of the corporate scene, I think the two can work together. Mm -hmm. And so the concept is really quite simple. We want to match startups and corporations that are willing to work together towards either a common goal, a common mission, or at least something in the way of a mutually beneficial relationship. Nice. Amazing. I think that's definitely a big vision uh, that you can strive toward because there's so much Uh, space that is still left to actually mix them i think there's a lot of room for that maybe to go a step back here have how has your role been to actually be the cmo of value is it have you been a founder before have you worked in corporates before how's how does the passion for you to actually mix those two sides come together yeah so in terms of previous co-founding experience i've co-founded six different startups over the span of almost 10 years mm -hmm. um Many really bad ideas, lots of, let's just say, painful lessons that you have to learn. Uh, previously, a startup called Gluten-Free VIP, uh, terrible <laughs> name, terrible idea, uh, you know, and it's, it's always a learning opportunity, but, you know, I think people also over maybe glamify as if that's a word uh they they look upon the startup kind of journey as this amorous kind of rags to riches type thing and the reality is not everybody has kind of a, a zuckerberg journey you know I, i think there's there's a process and uh it's it's one of the reasons that i enjoy being around founders that have kind of been through Uh, the grime, the dirt, and, and the difficult journey is, I think you have a, a relatable kind of thing between these people. Um, but in terms of my experience with some of these large companies, I worked for the Washington Post for a little while. And this was right around the time that Bezos had bought it. And mm -hmm. I was thinking, holy smokes, this is going to be amazing working for a company that is under a visionary like this. And they're going to do something amazing and transformative. And the reality is nothing changed. Mm -hmm. Nothing changed and nothing does change overnight, especially when you're talking about thousands of employees that are looking at, well, I like the way that I do things and this is the way it's always been done. 
And it's like, okay, yeah, I, I can certainly agree that historically this has worked, but the reality is what are you doing in the future to maintain something in the way of relevancy? And a lot of companies either don't have that and they go, yeah, 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 we know what we do and we do it right and this is our process. And, and that just isn't working. And mm-hmm. sometimes you like to see some of the bigger players uh, either stutter step or, or completely have an about face because at least they're trying. And, and, or the market is deciding you're no longer meant to be in charge, right. which is kind of neat too. Right, right. I mean, you have to find some, some way of partnering up, especially I think if Amazon comes together with a big company like the Washington Post, I think that's... Uh, That's just a synergy that's not usually happening. Um, I mean, we've seen different uh, mergers and acquisitions before, but maybe to go to go a step back here again, you just mentioned you co-founded six startups uh, where you've actually done a lot of lessons learned. And um, there was bad names, maybe bad ideas. But what have you learned in general from like founding six startups and actually having different results? What is something that you want to give forward to entrepreneurs who are maybe in the same spot now when you were back then? Uh, maybe you can, can have you have lesson, lessons learned that you want to share with the audience? I mean, there's a million, right? So right. It, it, it's always, you get a little better on each go around. It's like uh, playing Monopoly or the game of life. You right, know? Right. And it's one of those things that I think uh, early on, one of the first things that I learned was have a good partner, right? Uh, you can't do things by yourself. It's not possible. Uh, I do admire those single co-founders that somehow managed to sculpt the team underneath them. But in terms of having full transparency and two people working together or five or whatever your co-founding team is, I think you need people to kind of bring you back to sanity. And you also need people to bounce stuff off of and say, yeah, that's a giant waste of time or this is a brilliant idea, but have you looked at it like this? And generally speaking, I, I would say most founders are kind of putting each other in check. Uh, but mm-hmm. also there are some founders that are complete douchebags and are like, hey, uh, I needed to spend this money in order to make sure that the missus got a new handbag. And it's like, <laughs> dude, I'm barely able to make rent. What are we doing? You right. know, and, and that happens, you know. Um, but it's also one of these things like as a kid, I remember, you know, as soon as it would start uh, snowing or as soon as the leaves would start falling from the trees, that was like money signs for me. And mm-hmm. so I would grab a friend and or, or three and hit the neighborhoods, knocking on doors, trying to get people to give us some money for doing any one of these little hustles, whether it was snuffling show, ra- shoveling snow, raking leaves or uh, I don't know, a million other little hustles. But, you know, it's so much easier to do that stuff when you look over and somebody else is sweating at the same time. Like mowing lawns was one of the big ones that I made money from the age of like eight. And it's so much more fun when you have two or three friends that are are with you and you're laughing and you're hating at the same time. But, you know, you're able to share in your success as well versus just being alone. It's it's like riding in a limousine by yourself. It's not the same. Right, right. You would rather play basketball with two people than just alone, maybe. And, uh, <laughs> and I like I, your analogy better. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I can totally feel that. I mean, uh, I've also uh, two co-founders, and they are bringing in, bringing in more pain, bringing in more joy. I think to the game. So I think uh, playing basketball with more than one person is definitely useful. Um, I think co-finding a good co-founder is something that a lot of people talk about. How would you now maybe also reverse engineer? finding a good co-founder what would you look for 
that it would ena actually enable you to to push forward and and actually enable and be enabled to to produce good ideas and good products yeah i think we all have to uh, it's it's such a gary vaynerchukism but i think a lot <laughs> of the time we we play to our our weaker points the idea is that as somebody that isn't really all that technical in terms of, you know, I know HTML, CSS, some JavaScript, and a little bit of, of in terms of like, let's say MySQL, mm -hmm. um, being able to connect the two. I can, I can mess around with some APIs, uh, right. but I'm by no means a full stack developer. And so me trying to become the full stack developer is unlikely at best. And so I need somebody that can complement all of the shortcomings that I have, and often a lot of the founders that I've I've been working with have those complementary uh, abilities. So mm -hmm. whether it's you know I'm doing the writing, the sales, and some of the growth hacking, and focusing in on SEM to scale things, mm -hmm. they're focused in on design and some of the you know elements of developing a platform. And of course, I have to learn elements of what they're doing in order for us to have a, a an open dialogue, but. I'm fully aware that I don't think I'll ever be a well-to-do front-end developer, and I don't think I have to be, just as many of my other founders are never going to be prolific writers. Not that I'm a prolific writer, but <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, so, you know, you, you have to complement one another in those skills. You can't have three founders or ten founders or two founders that purely do the same thing. It, it, it doesn't really work. Right, right. Okay, that's a fantastic, fantastic tip here. Um, I think from from your perspective, as you mentioned, uh, just mentioned, you have been responsible for marketing topics, which you also cover at, at value.ai. Maybe you can maybe you can deep dive here. What have you learned from a marketing perspective that you can now also apply at your company now at, at, at being the CMO there? What's what are things that are completely undervalued? If you talk about Gary, that's something that he, he mentions a lot, right? Where do you th see like potential trends where we see we can actually use the marketing there to, for an underpriced uh, for an underpriced attention and where we could actually benefit from the from the attention. Uh, yeah, so the concept is. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm <laughs> waving off the CEO over here. Sorry. <laughs> no uh, so the concept <laughs> is is pretty straightforward. Uh, it, and it's it's starting to become more regular across a number of uh, different major publishers. The idea of coming up in organic search is becoming increasingly difficult. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that I always I've always thought was, hey, content is king, and and that's still relatively true. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that if you pull out your phone right now and look up uh, a keyword or a key phrase. Um, for something related to your industry or even mine. So let's yeah. say I look up digital transformation. What I end up seeing is the first four results are now ads versus it used to be the first two. Right. Then after that, you get Google image search, and that's okay. Then after <laughs> that, you get people also search for, which then just floats you into more ads. Beyond right. that, you then see... Uh, basically, it's uh, Google YouTube search results, which is you know, Google owns YouTube. And then after that, you start to see a few organic results, and then it's ads. <clears throat> sorry, ads again. <laughs> right. So 
It's what so frustrating that you're about to cough. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my shit. Sorry. Can we this? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, of course. No worries. It's okay, cool. <laughs> so it, it's one of those things that uh, if you look at the user experience just on mobile, uh, it's, it's changed drastically just within uh, May and June. You also have this, uh, this new algorithm update, which was the core algorithm update, uh, that also came out at the same time as this EAT, uh, E-A-T. It stands for Expertise, Authoritativeness, which I absolutely hate that word. <laughs> and then uh, the, the T escapes uh, trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that your website needs to give the overall impression that it, it basically has something in the way of not fake news. It's a genuine site that is trustworthy and uses a lot of the vernacular or language that is deemed to be a, a real website that offers real solutions to whatever a problem or a search would be related to that. Right. Uh, the results of this have been a major shift in content. Uh, and we've already seen this on social media. So a year ago, if you were posting something on LinkedIn or Facebook, just on your personal page, mm -hmm. you would get upwards of 150, 200 impressions easy. Right. Nowadays, it's 30 impressions, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like 40. Uh, on pages, it's the same thing. It's even worse, right. actually. Right. I used to see upwards of 500 to 1,000, and now I'm getting 100 without really pushing for engagement. Mm -hmm. So the idea is the future is paid. And that's really messed up because the idea of you being able to start a business and reach people in an organic sense is no longer a guarantee. And that makes it either really challenging to put out some amazing content mm -hmm. or you have to rethink your game and start budgeting to be able to reach people that are in your target market. And that's super frustrating for those that just thought, well, if I can write something that might resonate with people, hopefully it'll get in front of those that actually might want to come to my site right. and purchase my product or service. But man, it's getting difficult. And, and the writing's on the wall as is. So right. it, it's going to be interesting. So it's a long answer to say that what was working in my eyes was churning out a lot of interesting content and trying to target folks that would actually end up asking a question and basing a lot of this content on intent. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like the organic reach is going to be the same ever again. I think it's going to continue to slope. Because, of course, like it's a vicious cycle, right? I mean, there are more people actually paying a lot of money for good ads just to reach their, a certain amount they want to reach. And, of course, especially for startups, the game gets more and more interesting and difficult because they just need to push in a lot of money uh, and a lot of balls to, to, to actually make it possible. And then I'm, I'm not sure if that's going to work out in the long term, especially if we think about and I think I think that's a good turning point. If we think about working as a startup together with a big corporate, of course, corporates can actually manage Uh, paying a lot of money for certain ads and for for certain marketing activities, but maybe startups can't. And there, the mix probably comes, which could probably maybe solve the the challenge of startups actually not reaching corporates and corporates not reaching their main audience. Is that something that you have also experienced now when you see two big and very different sides coming together? It's a tough. That's a tough question to answer, right? So is the question more so, are corporates recognizing the need or are corporates and startups competing for the same customers? Rather the second and how they are actually solving it from both gotcha. sides. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, there's a number of interesting analogies here, right? So like, uh, let's take a look at like SDGs, right? Uh, sustainable development goals. It's like right. one of the like bullshit bingo words that go out in like every boardroom. Right. Um, 
but the <laughs> the concept is is cute and idealistic and nice in its purest form mm-hmm. but the reality is that nobody was really investing heavily in NGOs prior to somebody rebranding it as SDGs. Mm -hmm. So I don't see that being a big, powerful step in the right direction either way. Mm -hmm. You have to change society's perception of actually, would it make sense for me to buy a coffee knowing that, you know, this was uh, not used uh, in something in the way of like slave labor or something like that. I, I don't know how you brand it or market it. Doesn't matter. But if this cup of coffee that meets all of the SDG goals costs me a dollar fifty, and the one sitting next to it is ninety nine cents, I'm probably going to go, "Hey, that's that's basically half off." Uh, right. I, right. I don't know what to tell you, but I I like my coffee, uh, like coffee, and I don't feel like I need to spend an extra fifty cents. Right. So I, I think you're you're going to find that there's there's going to be competitiveness on both sides. But uh, this is a long way to go to say that there are startups in every single uh, kind of micro uh, environment. So every single city has a startup that's doing those damn scooters that are, are taking up the sidewalks. <laughs> every city has one. <laughs> it just started here in, uh, in Germany, actually, and we see a lot of things coming out to happen now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right. And, you know, every city has one. New York has their own version. L.A. does. Tokyo does. They all have them. Right. Every city has their own bike sharing thing. Every city has their own version of uh, Uber delivery of, of food. So, mm-hmm. like, Just Eat is big in a lot of places in Europe, but it's Uber Eats or some other version of that in the States or different parts of Europe, it could be something else. So the idea is that many of these companies with idealistic values, and let's just say startups that are very small and want to save something way of like a, you know, better drinkable water. Let's Mm -hmm. say it's that goal. Mm -hmm. The idea is that you might have hundreds, if not thousands of startups that are going after the same thing and are, are trying to fight for the same amount of funding from uh, only a few key players. And what ends up happening is nobody really does a great job because they don't have the, the force behind them of a large organization that can throw down 300 million to see this through. Right. So there is the potential for a company to go, fuck it, let's throw as much money at po- as possible at the one that we think has the best chance of surviving. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the hope. And Hopefully that's where Valuer might even come in and basically say we have validated all of these different startups and we deem this to be the most reliable or at least the least risky of, of approaching the market and actually winning in the long term. Mm-hmm. And that can be really difficult for people to guess as to what will work and what won't. Uh, I mean, this is the whole idea of capitalism is kind of this arms race to figure out who will be the best. But sometimes the best doesn't always win either, you know? Right, right. And, um, uh, and I think you first have to define what best actually means, right? I mean, now in, 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 in venture capital-oriented startups, success sometimes just means raising more money and it's not about actually building great products that people like. Uh, and I feel like that's also somewhere going into the wrong direction maybe uh, because that's going to be just overpowered and just people don't know what actually good products look like and they just focus on raising the next round instead of actually making good products and i feel that's also giving more competition to the market because you can easily get money nowadays and it's there's not really a a a barrier of entry to to go into a market if you have a good team if you have somehow an mvp or an idea you can get money for it and that just brings a lot of a lot of competition to the market 
Absolutely agreed. You know, to that point, there's there's definitely a lot more in terms of of resources, and I do genuinely believe that David can work with Goliath. You know, like that's <laughs> the concept. Right. And you know, it, look at some of the headlines that have come out. You know, a little company named Boeing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they had two of these gigantic planes go down in the span of a month and a half, two months of each other. Yep. Turns out they had nine dollar an hour Indian dudes working on the development of some of their navigation, and and that's crazy. They didn't pair up with a startup. They paired up with some janky firm out of nowhere that Mm -hmm. they said, hey, maybe we can cut some corners. You have Accenture doing the same thing. They redesigned Hertz, the rent-a-car company's website, and completely shit the bed and basically didn't release anything, and now they're being sued. Danske Bank decided, hey, why not float some money to drug lords because that'll be a good idea, (laughs) you know? And GE can't get out of their own way. Right. And the idea is that if you're handing out these these projects to project managers that are just trying to get the work done, middle management, or even partners that are saying, my goal is to make sure that I get my quarterly bonus. Mm-hmm. I give a shit about anything else. Then that's where you get giant mistakes like this. And it only takes a few to take one of these major players out of the mix. I mean, they're talking about billions of dollars coming out of Boeing. Their right. stock has plummeted but people have thrown money in seeing the stock go down, so they've shot back up, which is crazy. <laughs> but eventually when the, the lawsuit, kind of uh, the class action lawsuit comes out in the wash, we're talking you know, double digits of billions being awarded to, to these families. And, and it's right. terrible, but at the same time, it's like, well, why didn't you find an amazing startup or a couple of startups that could have helped you along because they were scaling in aviation in terms of navigation and yep. geospatial? Uh, why weren't you even considering that? And because I think they were looking at doing it for the cheapest and not looking at startups that could actually help them along the way and be partners in the future. Yeah, it's super short-term oriented, of course, right? There's no long-term orientation in there, which is absolutely terrible. And of course, in a world of capital markets and and um, shares and, and different things that happen on that side, of people are always very shortly oriented, which definitely is going to go somewhere that is not very, uh, very, very happy for, for actually us consumers. Um, but maybe to, to, to go to dig deep here, um, I mean, you've seen a lot of startups fail. You've, you've actually experienced it yourself, but also you've seen startups work together with corporates. What have you seen? What did the startups do and what did corporates do that actually successfully came together? Are there like synergies that you have observed that would help maybe other startups to, to make a good first step towards a corporate that would be of interest? Sure. I think as it doesn't matter if it's hardware or software, uh, it, it really is. It's an examination from an early stage within a startup to say, who are the potential partners of, of the, the real world that we could collaborate with at some point in the future. So if it's construction project management software, that was one of the, the companies that I ran the marketing department for, mm-hmm. at a very early stage, we were trying to collaborate in any way possible with some of the largest players that were in the game in terms of construction companies. Okay. And there's always going to be pushback. But the idea is having that in mind going forward to say, if we were to get this one major company as a client, that would do more than 50 of these smaller companies uh, as regular monthly mm-hmm. recurring revenue uh, players. So one of the, the clients that uh, we've had, uh, it's a water pump company. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to mention them by name, so I'll just omit it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
but they they work with water, uh, water pumping, and mm-hmm. uh, not the sexiest vocation or niche in the world. Uh, but it's a really interesting environment. You know, there's there's IoT that's breaking into the space to say, of the water that we pumped out here, how come we're losing upwards of 50% by the time it reaches its customer? Mm-hmm. If we had something in the way of a system within the pipes that's low battery power because we can't dig these things up every two years, right. how do we find where these incidents of leakages are happening and then isolate that, dig it up, and save ourselves in the long term thousands if not millions of dollars Mm -hmm. and startups exist that are in that iot space and they have exist for a while it's not my jam i don't think i would ever go after that particular niche but the idea was rather than reinventing the wheel find somebody that's already doing that or doing something related to it and say hey can we talk about this you know and at Mm -hmm. least open up that channel of, of conversation I love that because I think that has actually been a topic in the podcast several times. I just, uh, I just thought of Andrew McGarity, who, uh, who who sold a company to Thrivers and was one of the closest employees to Bill Clinton during his presidency, and he's mm. he's now actually co-founding another startup in the states, uh, together with Lonely Planet. And um, the, <laughs> idea, the the funny thing is, he what he was mentioning to me was the biggest success factor in his startups were always cooperating as soon as possible with way bigger companies because that's just giving him a lot of traction and you yep. just mentioned that as well and i think a very good question upon that would be because i think a lot of startups if i would just come into their minds is when do you actually reach out to bigger companies is that as soon as possible is that when you have some first traction is that when you have like uh, when you actually overcome product market fit when do you think is a good time to contact related corporates or related startups that have actually gone big in, in the space? Yeah, I mean, here's the scary answer is, you know, it, it could be in the ideation process. Yep. You know, there are accelerators and incubators out there now that give real resources to people with just fucking ideas, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason why I think the valuations that are unbelievably high <laughs> are eventually going to put us in another dot-com style bubble and crash. Yep. I mean, it's just impossible to think you didn't even build anything. There's there's nothing but an idea, a loose framework in place, and you're asking for money? You know, like, that's unreal. And people are giving it away. You right. know, like, that's absurd. Right. Uh, it happens all the time. So it's never too early, but realistically, if you really want to stand a fighting chance and not give out too much equity early on, I would genuinely believe you have to have something in the way of a minimum viable product and yep. obviously have something in the way of a, a bit of traction. Show that you're making a little bit of money. You have a couple of customers under your belt so that you've proven that there's a product market fit. Customers enjoy your service or your product and you're able to then say, all I need is an infusion of wealth or a big partner and then I can scale this rocket ship. Right. Amazing. Okay. That's a fantastic tip. Thank you for, for sharing that. Maybe now a couple of words to value.ai because I think um, a lot of European startups at least look towards what what um, the people in the north are doing with uh, Sweden and Denmark competing with each other, having great startups. So sometimes people actually don't know that you that some startups are actually based in those countries. So maybe can you give some feedback on what you are doing at Value and uh, how you are helping startups and corporates come together? Because I think that's a fantastic mission. Sure. I, I mean, there's so many different areas to touch upon. I'll try to keep it uh, short. I mean, the concept is we we give anybody the chance to basically come to our site. If they're a startup, they can convert and basically give us more details that goes into our platform. Mm-hmm. We have over 400,000 startups in our system right now. They come from traditional channels, but they also come from this 
unique blend. The idea is we crowdsource a lot of this. We have an agent network of over 5,000 people that are interspersed throughout the world. A lot of them are students. Mm -hmm. But the idea is we put out a release to everybody saying we are looking for a clean tech startup that is inside of the hardware space that is before a round A investment uh, that has a minimum viable product. What do you got? Mm -hmm. And it's a deluge of suggestions and introductions. And I mean, it's not hard to hit these networks. I mean, if you Google the phrase startups in and put your city or within Facebook, you can find groups within every major startup hub of people that want to get involved and have no idea how to become either a founder or somebody that starts to kind of be a mover and shaker. Any demo day that you go to, whether it's it's Munich, Berlin, London, Washington, D.C., those things are packed. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of people that are just kind of, they, they want to, I don't want to say groupies, but they, <laughs> but they <laughs> want to be around it, you know? Right, like, they, like, I want to be a part of the next thing, you know? And, and it's fun right. and it's cool. So right. it's not hard to get people to pass this stuff along. And, and what happens is we're finding that the stuff that's coming in it's it's stuff that isn't listed online. These are a lot of startups that haven't built themselves a Crunchbase or Angel.co uh, profile. Mm-hmm. And they're in academia in their early stage, but they've built something that is working and they've won a competition at their school and nobody's heard of that. And then somebody forwarded along to us and we're like, we should definitely put these guys in touch. And it works <laughs> out. It, it works out really well. You know, so, um, yeah, that that's kind of the idea. I mean, we love working with large companies. We're getting two or three really big ones per week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, again, I it's so absurd because of the communication rules and liabilities with, like, every one of these companies has, like, a corporate communication environment, which speaks to how fucking slow a lot of this stuff is. <laughs> but they're like, hey, we'll, we'll do business with you guys, but – uh, don't release this yet. And then it's like six months later, like, huh, can we? And it's like, not yet. So, you know, it's one of those things that I, I find a lot of large companies are excited by this and they're mature enough now that they're starting to say, okay, cool. If we build an innovation lab, what do we do next? And it's like, right. come on guys, start working with startups. And like, well, how do we do that? And it's like, holy smokes, you know, like you have to actually really take these people by the hand and it's a step-by-step process. And we work with partners for that. I don't think we would ever want to be everything to everybody, but people are starting to figure it out. And and you're seeing larger and larger companies come on board that way. And through your platform, you have the the startups on the one hand and the corporates on the other side and as soon as a, a corporate says okay we want to ha- we want to open up an innovation lab and we're looking for a clean tech startup with hardware you can actually filter them and, and directly intro them to the corporate that's it yeah the Fantastic. idea is yeah we don't want to sell like a, a database i mean everybody right. has access to to databases these of days course. what we're trying to sell is a curated list yeah i i joke but it's these people are really busy and they're also somewhat lazy. No offense for anybody that's listening, but <laughs> you have to put it on the back of a fucking cereal box, which right. is the most frustrating thing. That's like, <laughs> would you read it now if it's on one page? And they're like, okay, fine. I'll read it now. So you can't give them 150 or a thousand startups to look through. Yeah. It's not plausible. And realistically, nobody has the time to do that, especially the decision makers at the very top. Yep. So we do a lot of the vetting. We have experts that basically come in and validate. And we also make sure to check in with these startups to kind of do our own due diligence. And we deliver these to the startup, or sorry, the corporations and say, give us a yes, no. And if it's a no, give us something in the way of some 
quantitative and qualitative reasons, and then we can basically insert that back into the machine learning so the next batch is a little closer to what they're looking for. Totally makes sense. And is that just going to be corporates from the business part or also venture capitalists who are looking for great startups? Or what, which kind of corporations do you have with which companies? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lot of large corporates that the business model works for. I think the issue with VCs and, and even you know private equity firms yep. is they want, they want to pick just one. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is they're like, hey, can I just get access to your database and then I'll let you know which ones I pick and then like <laughs> we can just later, which is like the most absurd fucking thing I've ever heard of, of in my course. life. Of course. <laughs> you know, That's rude. Give almost. me your business model. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So it's one of those things that it really does work for corporates, you know, and the ones that we've been working with, you know, we, we've had some really interesting uh, success with. Uh, larger uh, municipalities and larger cities that mm. just don't know what to do with the deluge of interest from startups working with them. Right. Um, we work with a couple of uh, American companies. Uh, Spirient is one that I can talk about. Mm-hmm. Aristod is a, a company that does basically electric and power. Uh, Nealfisk, Microsoft, uh, Grunfuss, ISS, Siemens, and you know a dozen more that again, like I, I wish I could you know be like, ah, oh, these guys are awesome, but it's coming, you know, check right. back and maybe there'll be a new logo on the website that's round and ends in W. I don't know. Right, right. I mean, I would love if people maybe from the community can definitely check it out and see if they can help because I think there are definitely a lot of startups that in the, are in the crowd and definitely can, can be part of your community. But also, I think we definitely have corporates who could potentially partner up with you to see where actually trends and innovations are going and see if there is potential to work together. And uh, I think that's a very good idea to look forward. And I could definitely recommend everybody to just get in touch with you and see if there are potential synergies, especially if you have if you are from the corporate or from the business side. Totally. From the startup yeah. side. Yeah, and you can find us, you've said the name a bunch of times, valuer.ai, or uh, there's only two Taylor Ryans in Denmark. Uh, I'm, uh, I guess I'm the... <laughs> in America, they're definitely going to be more, I'm sure. That's true. That's very true. Um, so, I don't know. Pick the one to connect with that works at Valuer. How about that? Right, right. <laughs> I heard it's a guy who's a CMO. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> no, fantastic. Maybe a couple of last questions before we, have, we wrap up. Um, what's the final book that you want to recommend to the listeners that you have read that actually has inspired you? You know, there's there's two answers. One is like the BS answer, uh, and then another one is kind of like a genuine answer. So, uh, <laughs> Blitz Scaling has been actually a pretty uh, pretty interesting book. Which one? Uh, it's by uh, Blitz Scaling. Okay. Uh, it's got a, a red cover. It's by Reed Hoffman, uh, who owns uh, well, he doesn't own anymore, but he's a billionaire, uh, and he started LinkedIn. Right. Um, so him and another guy named Chris Ye basically put together this really interesting thought. Uh, and uh, theory and, and, and concept of like how you go from a startup into a scale-up and how you go from a scale-up into what is basically a, a matured large organization. Mm-hmm. And you know you see a lot of companies that are consistently screwing that up. I mean, look at the background of Uber. You know, Uber is this gigantic company but has hit so many stumbling blocks because you have these rogue, crazy startup founders that stick around and what worked when they were just a small startup doesn't always work when you're a large corporation there are rules you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Um, and then the other book that I, I've always found centering and, and somewhat uh, interesting is uh, Letters from a Stoic uh, Seneca oh nice yeah 
I always like that book. I bring it on vacation when I when I get a chance. Rarely. <laughs> Definitely, it's. I'm, I haven't actually read it, but I've I've heard it a lot of times. So I, especially all the the stoic books. Ryan Holiday is also a part of like shaping yeah, yeah. shaping the industry. So it's great. Cool. Fantastic. One last question: How do you manage to do? Do you have a to do list that actually helps you to 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 keep everything covered? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's always so. Like I I don't believe that marketing works in the the structure of, of agile mm. maybe if you're developing a website sure um, waterfall is kind of my mechanism of of continuing to build projects and many of them require maintenance mm -hmm. that just goes on forever mm -hmm. um, but yeah i mean trello boards weekly meetings that basically you know i have a 30 person marketing team here so the idea of trying to manage each individual project from a micromanagement standpoint is impossible. Yep. So the idea is basically give people a running, uh, a field basically, remove the obstacles and say, great, if you fuck it up, not a big deal. We'll take a look at it. Let me know when you get stuck. But in the meantime, get out there and make mistakes and, and let's see where it goes. Amazing, fantastic last words. Um, thank you, Taylor, really enjoyed uh, chatting. I think there were a lot of touch points that we have in common and that I think a lot of uh, people can definitely learn from, especially from uh, starting up as a, as a startup, but also lessons learned and really seeing how you can cooperate with, with uh, companies that are quite big and, and can definitely support you to scale up. So we really appreciate uh, the, the chat. Definitely um, check out value.ai. Definitely check out your profile. I will definitely link everything up in the, in the show notes and um, enjoy chatting. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks, sir.